Good afternoon. I took a picture earlier this summer at our place in Virginia, and I have a copy of that picture with me tonight. I'd like you to spend a moment or two looking at this picture, and then in your mind you answer the question, what is a birdhouse? I'm not going to ask you to answer the question out loud, so you don't have to feel nervous about that, but make some word association. Birdhouse means what to you? So I thought about it, I came up with three words. The first word is intentionality, or maybe you could say purpose, but intentionality. You may have noticed that birdhouses do not grow in the wild. They do not grow on trees themselves. If you see a birdhouse somewhere, if you have a birdhouse, it's because you or someone else made it and put it there. So there was some intentionality to it. This particular birdhouse, I bought it at a benefit auction back home. It was our school annual school benefit auction. A boy at school had wanted to do something to help support the school, so he built a birdhouse. He had some intention to do something. He also had an intention to do a nice job. He didn't just cut a few boards and slap them together. You uh, look at the birdhouse that I bought at the school sale. Uh, for a boy, he did a pretty good job building a birdhouse. It is functional would keep a nest nice and dry. It has a hole for the bird to go in and out. You cannot see it, but on the back side, there's a little hook and a door that you can open to periodically clean out the birdhouse. So he was intentional about it. He also used some creativity. Uh, he painted it an attractive little color scheme. He put a little front porch on it. Uh, there's even pickets in the, in the porch rail. He trimmed out the doors and windows on the house and added a chimney, which is non-functional. There's not a fireplace or wood stove inside. It's just for looks. But he put some work into it. He was intentional. I bought it on purpose. I wasn't waving to someone in the crowd and accidentally got the birdhouse. No, I had my hand up and um, I bought the birdhouse on purpose. Because I like birds and I have other birdhouses. I buy a birdhouse about every year at the school sale and we put them around here and there because we like birds. I was also intentional in where I placed the birdhouse 
on our property. I have enough things in the yard to mow around, and I didn't want another thing to mow around. So instead of sticking it in the middle of the yard, I stuck it off to the side of the yard, actually at the back of the yard up against the woods, and I stuck it right underneath some overhanging trees to where, you know, not a lot grows there, uh, kind of up on the side of a bank at the edge of the back of the yard. I wouldn't have to mow around it. I would only have to weed eat around it maybe once, twice a year. It was convenient for me to put it there, and I did that with intention. A second thing I think about, well, well, one more thing about intentionality. It did not come with the pole. I just bought the birdhouse, and it's generally not a good idea to set birdhouses on the ground. We have lots of possums and um, skunks and coons and foxes around where we live, and it just wouldn't be wise to set a birdhouse on the ground. Um, Too many predators. So I got a pole, and I planted that pole in the ground, and then I mounted the birdhouse on top because I intended to create a safe place. The second thing that I think of, the second word that I think of, is that word safe or safety. Well, that's what a birdhouse is intended to be. It's supposed to be a safe place for a bird to lay its eggs and to raise its young. Birdhouses, I guess we think that God didn't quite get it right, and a little bit of improvement can be made on his plan. Uh, Birds need to have a roof over their head, don't they? So we put roofs over their heads in the form of birdhouses. But yes, there's some safety there. Uh, A little bird that is raised in a birdhouse does not have rain falling on it. It does not, it's probably not so affected by a cold morning. And when there's a storm and wind, the little little bird is sheltered from that as well. So I think about intentionality. There is intentionality in every birdhouse. I think about safety. That is the purpose of a birdhouse. And then I think about family. You may have noticed that bachelor birds generally do not take up residence in birdhouses. It is a family that takes interest in a birdhouse. So Mr. Bird comes along and maybe he notices the birdhouse and he checks with the real estate agent about how much is it and it seems reasonable. He looks it over. It seems sturdy doesn't need too many repairs, not too far to work or to church. Um, So he decides he's interested in it. Mrs. Bird looks it over. Um, She likes the way the rooms are laid out inside. Uh, They will need to get new kitchen countertops and maybe paint the living room. But she likes it. Country living, but close to town, um, convenient. They make that birdhouse their home. Because they intend to raise a family. They use it for raising a family. How many of you have birdhouses? How many of those birdhouses, those of you who raised your hands, those birdhouses are lived in year-round? One, two, three, 
Why do most of your birdhouses empty out? They served their purpose. The family was raised, and it reveals the actual purpose of your birdhouse. It was to raise a family. So three things, intentionality, safety, and home. Birdhouses are really all about family. So the question is, what is home? That's the topic. What is home? To fit with my three words, I made a definition. Home is an intentionally created safe place for the raising of a family. Your home should be an intentionally created safe place for the raising of a family. There was one thing I did not think about. I was mowing my grass at that house earlier this summer. I think it was in June, early June. And the first time around the yard, I I went along the edge of the woods, right past the birdhouse. I noticed nothing amiss. Went around the yard, I came by the second time, and as I came along the woods, I just happened to glance in that direction. And I saw that something was amiss. I am not a photographer. I didn't take the best picture. And when you blow it up, it gets a little blurrier yet. But perhaps you can see what was happening that day. There was a long and fat black snake steadily making his way to the birdhouse. He had climbed a tree further back in the woods, and then he was dropping from limb to limb. Those overhanging limbs where I had parked the um, birdhouse for my convenience, he was using those overhanging limbs as his avenue. And when I took the picture, he was about, oh, I don't know, four feet away from the birdhouse. He was long and he was fat. He had eaten many little birds. And it kind of rose up inside me. I think I'm a non-resistant person. But um, actually, I can tell you the words that were going through my mind. And they were... This is not going to happen. You are not going to eat my little birds. Now, they weren't my little birds. They were Mr. and Mrs. Bird's little birds. But I took some ownership. You are not going to eat my little birds. Much of my life is spent in meetings, and I called a meeting with the serpent. And we came to an understanding that never again in his life would he eat any little birds. 
A birdhouse was about intentionality. It was about creating safety for the raising of a family. Home is an intentionally created safe place for the raising of a family, but you must never forget about the serpent. There is a serpent. He's also called the wolf and the thief and the robber and a few other names you can probably think of. But there is a serpent and you must not forget about the serpent. I had the best of intentions. I intended to support our school. I wanted to encourage the little boy who built the birdhouse. I even bid up myself so that his birdhouse would bring a little more money. I wanted birds to live in our yard. And I wanted it done so it was convenient for me so I did not have to mow or weed eat around it so often. But I forgot about the serpent. And in search of convenience in my life, I left some overhanging branches that became an avenue for the serpent to go toward that intentionally created place that was supposed to be a safe haven for a family. Most of you have or will have a home. I think you would intend that it is a safe place for the raising of your family. Are you remembering that there is a serpent? Intentionality. You're not the only one that has intentions. God has intentions as well, and God has intentions for the home. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. It has been God's plan all along that there would be families and that there would be homes. And many of you here, you are here because of God's plan being followed. You have children, perhaps little ones here with you, or you have children at home, or you might someday, even if you're an unmarried person here, you might have children someday. Psalm 68, verses 6 through 8, I would like to read for you. If you would mark this down, this is a little set of verses I would like you to go home and read um, when you have some time. Maybe you can read it for your devotions or write it out on a little index card and carry it to work with you in your pocket and read it at break time. Set it on your window seal while you're doing dishes and think about it. Psalm 78, verses 6 through 8. Psalm 78, verses 6 through 8. Listen carefully. This is what God's saying. His intention for the family. That the generation to come might know them, even the children that should be born. Who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, 
that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. This little passage looks toward the future. When it was spoken, um, written, it looked toward the future, and today when we read it, it still looks toward the future. It speaks about the generation to come. Well, who is that? It is not you. You are the generation that's passing away, a few of you here, and some of you, more of you are the generation that are. This passage is about the generation that's going to come. So it's talking about your children, born and unborn, the ones you have and the ones you don't have yet. The generation that's going to come. God has a plan for the generation that's going to come. It also says the children that should be born. That means the children that are going to be born. Some of you have a few children. Some of you do not have any children, at least at this point in your life. This passage is talking about the children that are going to be born. There are probably some ladies here who are expecting. It's talking about that child that's here. Not born yet, but going to be born. It also says it's talking about the ones who will arise and declare it to their generation, to the generation to come. So... You, as the generation that's passing away and as the generation that is, you're the ones who are doing the talking now. You're the ones who are doing the teaching now in your homes and in your schools and in your churches. But if the Lord tarries and if time goes on, these little ones and the ones that aren't born yet, they will be the ones that are doing the teaching at home and at school, and at church, and they need to have something to teach. This passage is talking about the generation to come, the children that will be born, and the ones that will be declaring it to the generation that comes after them. It gives four goals for these children, for this next generation to come. The children that you have at home and that you don't even have yet. God already has four goals for them. One, that they might set their hope in God. Two, that they might not forget the works of God. Three, that they might keep His commandments. And four, this one ouches a little bit that they won't be like their parents. The first is that they might set their hope in God. Hope is a feeling of trust or confidence. I would say it's a first cousin to faith. Very similar to faith. Perhaps you can draw some line or distinction there. I'm not here to parse that all out. But the goal God has is that these little children, born and unborn, will be able to set their hope in God. Where do you think that most children learn to have confidence in God if they ever learn it? 
from you, maybe. If they are going to learn to have hope or confidence in God, it probably needs to come from you. How will they see that in you? The little children, born and unborn, they need to see real Christianity lived out by the people they trust the most. Their parents and their grandparents. So even if you're the generation that's passing away, there's still something to do. These little children need to see something in you. If you're married here, if you're parents, if you're a young person and you might be married someday, there are little children that need to see something in you. They need to see that they can set their hope in God. The second and the third are that they would not forget the works of God and that they might keep His commandments. I think about the common verse, Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way which, in which he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them at church? No. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. If children are going to learn to have their hope in God, to not forget the things that God already did, and to keep His commandments, they are going to have to hear it from you at home. Morning, noon, and night. When they go to bed, and when they get back up, and when you're walking from the house to the barn. They need to hear it from you. And the last one is that they would not be like their parents. Now, you are not the children of Israel. I don't know most of you, but um, just I'm making an assumption that I can esteem you a little higher than those disobedient children of Israel. But the scripture says that God's hope for this next generation is that they won't quite be like you. One thing we have told some of the young men in our church is that, you know, one sense we think we have to hold on to everything. That's all we're doing. We're just trying to save everything from disaster because it's all kind of going downhill anyway, isn't it? So we're just holding on and hopefully we can hold on and we'll only deteriorate this much per year in our standards and in our application of biblical truth, but it's just kind of going like this. Well, are you giving the young people in your church some hope that, you know what, we hope you have a better church than we have. That church will be better in your day than it was in our day. That probably means we need to work at it pretty hard. And that when we have something that we need to work on, which Marvin touched on in his first topic here, you will work on the things that need to be worked on 
because the church of tomorrow needs to be stronger and better than the church is today. Your children need to learn to be more faithful to God than you have been. They need to learn to be less selfish than you are. They need to learn to be more obedient to God's commands than you are willing to be. And they need to be more dedicated to Him than you presently are. I think that helping your children be everything they can be for God is about as big a job as a person can handle. You don't need to be doing all kinds of great things or um, set some lofty goals for you already have a job that's bigger than you can handle. And I don't mean to discourage you from doing things, but talking to God, about, talking to your children about God, teaching them about God, is the greatest opportunity that you have in life. The second thing that that birdhouse represents that fits with the idea of, of, of what is home is safety. The birdhouse was intended to protect the birds from predators and from the elements. I wouldn't doubt that everyone here, you want your home to be safe. Home is an intentionally created safe place for raising a family. So, if you have a home, you've shown some intentionality, you've picked someone. Um, you're trying to raise a family. You have a church. You've selected a circle of friends. You're deciding what is allowed in your family and what isn't allowed in our family. You're showing intentionality. How can you make sure there is safety in your home? You need to remember that there is a difference between a house and a home. Those are not the same things. Homes are found in houses, but a home is a different thing than a house. One thing um, our ministers tell the people at home is that church is not a building. We don't have a church house in our community. We, we, for 15 years that we've been there, we go to church at our school. And some of you have churches in homes. Um, some of you probably have a church house. But I hope when you talk about it to your children, if you have a church house, that's what you call it. It's not the church. It's the church house. It's the building where the church people are at sometimes. Church is always the people and it's never the building. Well, what about at the family level? Home is never the house or the acreage. It is the people who are there and their relationship to each other. I believe it is okay to have a house. I think you should be a good steward of whatever house or place God has given you. But you should never forget what your real goal is. Some people spend their whole life acquiring a certain type of house or a certain type of property. Your life should be spent building a home. Remember that this home is supposed to be a place of safety. 
well, then it probably matters what type of people are in the home. Marvin, in his topic, I was kind of listening with a careful ear. Some of the times he was talking about you, and some of the times he was encouraging you to be careful about the people who are around you when you're creating safety for your children. I am going to talk about you. You are the people who are in your home. You are the dad, and you are the mom. I'll share an example of how I think a dad and how I think a mom can create safety in a home, and much more could be said. I'm just going to give one of each. What is the role of a father in creating safety in the home? Many things could be said. I thought of James 5:16. Another verse you can uh, think about later at home. James chapter 5 and verse 16. It says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It accomplishes much. The fervent, not the casual, the fervent, effectual, he's at this. This is as important as getting his work done today. Prayer of every man? No. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. I, if I would ask, do you pray for your children, I imagine all of those who have children, you would raise your hand. You do offer a prayer to God on behalf of your children. Hopefully you do it every day, but, um, and many times a day, but you pray for your children. Do all prayers accomplish anything? No. It says the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So if you are a dad, if you are a father, or if you will be a father someday, and if you live with sin in your life, you might as well quit praying for your children because you are wasting your time. Your prayer isn't worth two cents. If you live with sin in your life, if you want to pray for your children and you want it to be effectual, to accomplish something, you have to decide to be a righteous man. There will be things you need to clean up in your life. There will be branches you need to trim away. Because if you do not trim away those branches... You are building the devil's bridge into your home. How'd he get in? He got in through you. What are you allowing in your life that would make an avenue the devil could use dropping branch to branch to come get your little birds? As a father, you have some responsibility to clean your life up. And if you won't do it for your own sake, do it for the sake of the little birds. And really, I should quickly add, you need to do it for God's sake. And then for them. And also for yourself, 
If you want to pray for your children effectively as a father, you will have to have a clean life. You are a sinner by birth. Um, You have a nature that tears you down. And you need God to help you clean up your life. What if you're the mother in the home? What can you do to create a place of safety in the home? I would encourage you mothers to read Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Read like this. It's telling what the older women in, in church life should be doing. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home. That little expression, keepers at home, has always interested me. I did a little bit of study on it, and this is not um, anything that I would have known without uh, learning from someone else. But that word keeper is a particular word. It was originally spoken or written, I should say, it was originally spoke, uh, written in Greek. And the Greek word that is translated keeper is was their word for guard. Like a guard at a prison. The young women are to be taught to be the guards at home. Well, that throws a different light on it. To be a guard at home. Is it wise not to have guards? Do you actually need guards? Well, that same expression, keeper, is used other places in the Bible. David was a keeper of sheep. I've never had sheep in all my days. We've had lots of different kinds of animals. We never had sheep. Maybe if you have sheep, you just let them loose and they take care of themselves and multiply like crazy and it all goes good and you get rich. You don't even have to look after them. No, I suspect somebody needs to watch and take care of those sheep. And dairy cows are probably that way too. You just turn them loose and they milk themselves and stay healthy and um, find their own feed And you just go get um, that little thin milk check at the end of the day. You don't need to take care of the cows. No, you need a keeper for the cows too, don't you? If you have a business, well, all you do is you hire employees. The boss doesn't need to be there. You don't need any foremen or supervisors. The employees are hired and they'll just do it. No, you need someone to watch the employees to keep them on track. And if you need someone to watch the pigs and the cows and the employees, you probably need someone to guard the children too, to guard the home. What happens when the the keeper or the guard is not on duty at home? Here are some of the things that happen when the guard is not on duty. If the guard is not awake and alert, or away too much, or is just simply away too much, some of the mail on the magazines do not get sorted as they should. In our family, it is the wife's responsibility to sort the magazines. 
And we have sorted out some magazines entirely, as, as uh, Marvin, um, he alluded to, to this specific point. There are hunting magazines we do not get. We maybe got them once, or we got them once upon a time, but there are objectionable ads in the back of those magazines. They no longer come to our house. We don't get the newspaper at our house anymore, but it was not uncommon for me to be reading the newspaper in the morning and reading an article and I have to turn back to page 8 to get the rest, and half of the page is ripped off. Where's the rest of my article? There was something on the backside you didn't need to see. The guard was on duty at home. Undesirable things creep into young people's bedrooms when the guard is not at home. Idle time leads in wrong directions when the guard is not at home because an idle mind is the devil's workshop. Deteriorating attitudes are not nipped in the bud when the guard is not on duty. Family routines and the stability that come from those start to break down when the guard is not on duty. If you are a lady, a mother here today, be the guard at your home. You are the best person. You are better positioned than anyone to keep your family safe. That's not just the children. You are a guard helping to protect your husband from things that do not need to be an influence in his life. You should check out all the books and magazines. And I often um, give this illustration. Some of you maybe have heard it before. You need to sometime, as a husband and a wife, do an inventory of your house. Do it when you have time to think and the children are in bed or they're away for the day. Go room by room in your house. Stand in the middle of the room and look all the way around the room. Look at everything in the room. Asking the question, is there anything in this room that does not honor the Lord? And if there is, you need to deal with it. And then you go to the next room. And you look all around the room. You go to the bedrooms. And you open the drawers and you open the closets. And you go all around the room. Is there anything in this room which does not honor the Lord. You need to keep a close pulse. You need to keep the pulse in your children's lives, their attitudes, and their friends. Listen to what your children are saying and talking about. Be perceptive about how they are feeling about things that are happening. How they react to things. Be fully aware of who your children's friends are and where your children are. Work closely with your husband to make it hard for the serpent to get into your home. There are probably branches that need to be trimmed. And trimming branches is a good job for two people to work on together. To both of you together, there was one for the father. And what is it? Clean your life up so you can pray for your children as you ought to be able to. For the mother, what is it? Be the guard at home. 
for both of you. Be intentional that you are going to create a safe place for your children. Purpose together as husband and wife that God and His Word are going to be part of your home. That's the way it's going to be. God and His Word are going to be part of our home. Two, we are, to the best of our humble ability, going to be examples of faithfulness for the children. We will be an example because actions speak louder than words. Three, we are not going to forget about the serpent. We are going to be thinking about that serpent because four, we will be willing to trim branches if those branches create an avenue for the serpent. And it might even mean cutting out things that are convenient for us. We will address our conveniences because we cannot afford to leave an avenue for the serpent to come into our home. Should you fear that serpent? Well, you know, when I saw the snake, I jumped a little bit. There are probably some people in the world that don't jump when they see snakes, but most of us, when you're in close proximity to a snake and you're suddenly aware that he's here, um, it bothers you. And if the serpent's been prowling around your house, that's, that should bother you. But don't be shaking in your boots. Because the Scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 